Welcome to Ultimate Motorcycling's weekly podcast, Motos and Friends, brought to you by Yamaha. Yamaha revs your heart. I am Arthur Coldwells. This week we're heading a little off-road. In the first segment, I chat with editor Don Williams about his impression of the new Honda CRF 300L Rally. This is the rally version of the plain, ordinary CRF 300L. Although, having said that, there is nothing plain or ordinary about that bike at all. Anyway, uh, Don tells us about the differences between the rally version and the L version of the bike. In the second segment, Nick DeSena heads off to ride the annual Big Bear Run, and he recounts his adventure to Don. This Southern California off-road event has been around for many years and is apparently a lot more challenging than Nick anticipated. Anyway, the good news is he did survive and he's able to tell us all about it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. There's a place where the track meets the street, where the next generation of rider meets a new generation of supersport machine. It's called Our World and the all-new Yamaha YZF-R7 is your gateway. The YZF-R7 bridges the gap between the entry-level YZF-R3 and the prestigious YZF-R1, offering a mid-level option for both new riders looking to grow into a more powerful motorcycle, as well as experienced riders seeking a fully-fared motorcycle. Discover how the YZF-R7 provides the perfect balance of rider comfort and true supersport performance. With an advanced CP2 engine, inside an ultra-thin and lightweight chassis, the YZF-R7 delivers tons of linear torque, providing you with exhilarating track day sessions or plenty of power for ripping your favorite canyon curves. Take a closer look at YamahaMotorsports.com or see the YZF-R7 for yourself at your local dealer and see where our world meets yours. Okay, well, Don, hey, thanks for joining me. I'm interested in your thoughts on this all-new Honda CRF300L Rally. I, I'm interested in what the difference is primarily between just the L version and the Rally version, or is that just a just a nomenclature? Well, they're actually quite different, but more important than that for me was the difference between the CRF300L Rally and the its predecessor, the CRF250L Rally. And I want to get into that first because that's that's the big deal for me. Uh, when I when I go ride motorcycles, I almost always love them. I mean, I'm out on a motorcycle and I'm riding. Bikes are extremely well designed these days, and so you're going to go out and have fun. And there's never glaring problems or something that that ruins the experience. They, they're, they're not always perfect, but they're certainly good enough to have a great time. But the CRF250L Rally just was a big disappointment to me. It was one of those bikes that promised so much more than it delivered. When you first looked at it, you saw it, I first saw it, it was like, wow, look at this, a cool rally bike. Now, of course, everybody would want a CRF450L Rally, but we were gonna take the CRF250L Rally in the meantime while we were waiting. And it has the rally look, it looks really cool. Right. And you think, wow, this is going to be great. It's going to be a, you know, it's got longer travel suspension. So it's going to be a better bike to hit, you know, hit the open desert 
rally type situation on. Well, as it turns out, the difference between the CRF 250L and the CRF 250L rally was that you had mediocre suspension that was just longer travel. And that, and on a bike that was taller and heavier. So everything about the CRF 250L that made it a welcoming bike, which was that it was kind of low to the ground, it was easy to ride, was taken away and it was replaced by nothing. There was no advantage to the bike being taller. I mean, <laughs> long travel suspension is great, but only if the suspension travel is good. If it's not that good, it's actually a hindrance. You're better off with shorter travel. And you had the higher seat height. So you're, you know, you're up in the air more, the bike's more top heavy. But again, you don't get the advantages of the long travel suspension. You only get the disadvantages. And additionally, it had a bigger tank, uh, some other changes, but it was a heavier bike. So you have a, a bike that's already somewhat underpowered as the CRF 250L motor was in a heavier chassis that was taller with suspension that wasn't that good. There really wasn't much to say for it, like I couldn't understand why anybody would want to buy the bike. Sounds sounds like the answer to the question that nobody asked, really. Well, but people did ask the question, like, oh, I'd like to have a, a, a CRF 250L rally, but not that. So they, so they go longer, so they can go longer distances, but it just made it worse. Right. <laughs> it, the, actually, the odd thing about it was I actually thought it was a pretty good city bike because the fact that it was taller, you know, you could see over SUVs and you could still jump curbs and do whatever you wanted to do. It was actually a pretty good city bike if you were comfortable enough with the height, which I am because I ride regular dirt bikes. But other than that, like little narrow street only thing, it was not as good a dirt bike as the CRF, standard CRF 250L. And so there was no point to this bike existing other than it looked cool. And it really did look cool. Well, that has all changed with the CRF 300L rally. They Although the bike looks very similar, if you kind of look at a glance, it looks like the same bike, but it's completely different. I mean, they changed the frame, uh, they changed the suspension, they changed the uh, displacement of the motor. The motor is basically the same, but it's now a longer stroke motor. And it, it solved really all the problems. It's a lighter bike, it's still tall, but the suspension when they reworked it for the lighter uh, bike than the new motor, and the other changes, like it has a new swing arm, new frame, the bike's narrower. In doing that, they made it a really good bike. And I was, when I first got on it, I was not expecting to be impressed, but I was impressed. It was, it's a really fun dirt bike to ride. Uh, you know, it's already going to be a good street bike. I mean, it doesn't take much for a dual sport bike to do what it needs to do on the street. But uh, what really matters is how it works in the dirt. And the CRF 300L rally is, is just an excellent, excellent dirt bike within its realm. I mean, it's still a small, dis relatively small displacement. It's nothing like a KTM, Husqvarna, Beta, nothing like that sort of a dual sport bike. And it's, it's still a beginner oriented one, but one that's just much more capable. That extra power, you know, a lot of times you think, well, uh, Beginner, you don't want them to get too much power. And that's too, true. But a lot of times, but you also don't want them to have too little power because too little power can be as much a hindrance to successful riding as too much. You know, you have to balance the amount, the weight of the bike and the power of the bike. A bike that you twist the throttle, nothing happens, isn't an easy bike to ride. Then you have to like rev it all the time and slip the clutch and you 
you have to be a better rider. When you twist the throttle, you want the bike to, to move in a predictable way. If it's underpowered, then you're, you're fighting it. You're like, you're wanting to go somewhere, you're expecting something to happen and it's just not happening. And with the extra power, the CRF 300L Rally is now a workable bike off-road. When you twist the throttle, it reacts in a way that you expect. Additionally, Honda has tightened up the gear ratios at the bottom. So when you shift, it's not as big a gap. I didn't find that to be a big issue on the, the, the 250 rally, but they changed it and it, it works. And so the bike is really, really fun to ride off-road. Uh, and the other thing they did that was a big change was that they changed the seat. And so this compared to the, and here's where we get a little bit into the standard CRF 300L difference. The seat on the rally is wider. I mean, when you sit on it, you can tell right away that the standard 300L seems to have a bit, it has a bit of a dirt bike kind of narrow seat, whereas the rally has a, a more flat platform, very comfortable seat. You really can go uh, for longer rides. It has a, a 3.4 gallon gas tank compared to two gallons about on the uh, standard 300L. So, you know, you're just going to travel more distances. You're going to, you're going to uh, be in the seat longer. You want to have a more comfortable seat and the rally seat is just great. Going back to the difference between the, just the standard L and the rally is, excuse my ignorance, but is a rally version of a bike, more of a street oriented bike. So in other words, it has lights. Do both of them have lights, for instance, are they both street legal? Or is one an off-road bike and the other's an on-road bike? Well, it's kind of funny. There's not really like a, a rally rule because this is the only bike that I can think of that has the name rally in it. <laughs> uh, although actually maybe there's a new KTM 890 Adventure Rally. So they do have a rally. Generally speaking, a rally version in my mind would be a more competition-oriented bike because rallies are competition, right? You know, dual sport is dual sport. Rally is, is, is competition. It's not exactly racing. Rally to me sounds like distance. It is. You know, in other words, a, a rally bike is what you try and do the Baja 500 on. Not exactly, but close enough. The, 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 the car rally, you know, the rallies that they have in, in uh, Europe and Africa, uh, they basically they'll ride a long distance and then they'll be timed over a distance and then they'll ride to the next uh, a sector that they're timed and they're timed in that sector. And they do that all day, you know, over a period of a week or two, depending on which event it is. And so, yes, it is definitely a longer distance, uh, but there's, you know, the transfer sections, whereas in something like the Baja 500, Baja 1000, you're racing the whole time. So you have a much more race oriented bike because it, you have like a team, okay. different people are riding. Uh, I, I guess if you were doing an yes. Ironman, on the Baja 500 or Baja 1000, you'd want to have a more comfortable seat because you're going to be the only guy on the bike. But uh, for the, the normal rallies, it's set for breaks, you know, and, and, and everything throughout the day. It's not just a constant uh, competitive riding kind of thing. But they just improve the ergonomics. Uh, the, uh, the bars are bent back a little more, the seat's wider. It's just super comfortable. And I didn't feel uncomfortable on the 250 rally, but the 300 rally is definitely more comfortable, more natural off-road seating position. Uh, the tires on it are not the most dirt-oriented tires, but they're not, there's, they're not super street 
focused either. They're they're more uh, dirt oriented than you're going to see on adventure bikes, but they're not going to be the kind of tires that you're going to see again on the KTM Husqvarna Beta sort of uh, dual sport bikes. Well, of course, could I say that? But those bikes come with fairly street oriented tires, so they can pass uh, EPA sound rules, and nobody rides those bikes with stock tires. <laughs> so All right. uh, the, the same could probably be said for the the CRF 300L Rally. If, if you're going, and it, it would be, if you're going to ride that bike consistently off-road, you would want to put more aggressive tires on it. But even with the stock tires, it was a fun bike to ride on fire roads. Uh, I didn't take it on super technical single track, but then it's not made for that. Rally riding is not super technical. Again, it's more speed, it's more distance. It's not like they don't have hard parts, but it's not the same as like a hard enduro sort of thing where you're constantly like pushing through rocks and, and having a horrible time. Okay. So, uh, but the, but it's for me, the big takeaway of the bike is that it's much more fun to ride than the other one. Uh, the, the 250L rally just didn't deliver. It, it, it disappointed kind of in every way. Whereas the 300L, while not, again, not like strictly a rally bike, it's more like a rally style bike, the way it looks. Okay. But, it, but, it's, but it works better. It, right. works, it works closer to that ideal than before so when you're riding on it you're like okay this is working this is good i'm out riding across the desert i'm riding across these roads and i'm feeling comfortable and i'm having a good time and the bike is responding in a way that i feel comfortable with so the the two the two things that you really disliked about the the 250 seems to have been addressed the extra 50 cc or so engine displacement has just given that extra bit of punch to the power and it sounds like the suspension on on the 300 is way better it's still got the same long travel suspension but it's just better quality suspension yeah it's interesting honda didn't really want to talk about what they did i mean it's the same units same travel but they definitely reworked the the, the uh settings and it's not adjustable suspension except for you know the uh first spring preload if you want to put a passenger on but uh, they got it right. I mean, you can ride that bike again. You don't run to ride it at rally speeds, but you can ride it much faster, much easier than the old one. The old one was just off-road, just kind of, you know, it was okay, but it, what, it, there was just no point in riding it. There'd be no reason to ride the CRF 250L rally off-road rather than the standard CRF 250L. The standard one worked way better. And now it's a much closer, it's a much, much closer thing you know i mean it depends if you're still if you're a beginner the standard crf 300l is a superior off-road bike to the rally because it's lower uh, it's lighter and it's just it's going to be easier to ride but if you have a bit more experience and a bit more uh, uh confidence in what you're doing the rally is is a bit more capable i mean it's not like you're going through the long travel suspension you know it's, it's over 10 inches and you're not likely to be pounding the bike Having said that, the standard CRF 300L has pretty soft suspension. And so this is going to be actually going to end up being a comparison to the two as it's going to work out. The, the standard CRF 300L has very soft suspension. It's not as soft as the <clears throat> Kawasaki KLX 230, which is like the king of soft suspension. That bike is just so cush. You go over the slightest G out, it goes thud. thud. The CRF 300L will bottom out on G outs, small G outs. Like I can be going 15 miles an hour 
and go over like a rain uh, gutter thing and drop down and things just move. I mean, you learn quickly if you're a new rider, you need to stand up to go over bumps. You don't sit down on the CRF 300L because you're going to be constantly jolting your spine. And so you learn to stand up riding. And when you are riding dirt bikes, unless it's smooth, you do want to stand up because your legs are part of the suspension system. And uh, a lot of people who are new wouldn't understand that. They would just sit like they would on a street bike. And when they hit bumps, that bike bottoms. Uh, this, the rally seemed much more resistance to that bottoming. Part of it might be the uh, couple extra inches of travel, could be the way it's set up, but it definitely didn't have the soft, super, super ultra soft suspension of the 300L. The 300L was interesting the way it worked. It was kind of like you were on this sine wave where it was just moving up and down slightly. It never settled like, you know, really good suspension, the bike will just be super flat and then the wheels move up and down under the, on the uh, train below you. This, the bike is just constantly flowing up and down like through the ocean on the CRF, the standard CRF 300L. And it's an odd feeling if you're used to riding motorcycles. I think if you were a new rider, you'd kind of like it. It's like, yeah, it's smooth. I'm not getting jolted. Yeah, I got to stand up when there's a little bit of a G out. But most of the time it's, it's, it, Although the bike is always moving up and down, it's either going up or it's either going down, no matter what. But it it feels good. You have a, a decent feel for the trail. Uh, you don't get jolted. There's no surprises. Uh, the front end, again, for an experienced rider, the front end will seem vague. For a, a new rider who's this is maybe it's for still sport bike, he's like, oh, it feels good. I can ride. I bike goes does what I want. And so it's it's a just this exceptionally good new rider experience. Whereas the rally has more traditional suspension where, you know, it, it settles. And so, you know, you hit a bump, the bike set, you know, takes the bump and then returns to normal until the next one. It doesn't just kind of flow up and down. You know, there's just not, there's just, I don't want to say there's not enough damping in the standard CRF 300L because it's set up the way it is. And a lot of people would like right. it that way. You know, I, I, I can't even say that I didn't like it. It was just a little odd for me. And it, it's not my style. I, I would not want it that way for me. But I, I saw the advantages of it. You know, it, it's not fatiguing. It's, there's nothing surprising to the rider. Whereas the CRF 300L Rally, it's more of a direct feel, more of a traditional dual sport feel. So you're, you're going to, you know, you're, you're, you're you're more aware of what's going on. And if you're a new rider, sometimes too much input can be too much. <laughs> you know, you want to be right. able to just, you want to work your way into whatever sport you're at. You know, you don't want to start riding, you know, on a GSXR street bike ride on GSXR 1000R. You know, you want to start on a Ninja 400. And so this is the right. same sort of thing. Now, of course, the CRF 300L rally is that kind of a big step, but it's definitely a off-road it's a step up now whereas before it was a step down from the the standard l it's now a step up and that's a that's a pretty big difference but for me i really like riding both bikes uh you know for different reasons i think maybe the crf standard crf 300 l again as an experienced rider i kind of liked it because it was just so interesting it's like wow the way you know honda sprinkles its magic fairy dust on these bikes and they do these things that you just can't you can't even imagine how do they 
do, nobody's ever done this before. It's never felt this way before. You know, I remember that thinking that about the, the Honda Fury. It's like this high neck chopper, yet it handles really good. It's like, how does it do that? And the CRF 300L, the same thing. It's like, wow, I feel like I'm floating on this sine wave riding down the road, How the, the dirt road. How is this working? Well, it's working. I mean, I didn't lose the front end. I never crashed. You know, yeah, I bottomed out on the, the G outs. And these are G outs that a normal new rider would, they would hit a, a little dip at that kind of speed and they would go, oh, and they would feel it in their butt and they'd go, oh, I don't want to have that happen again. And so I would tell them, look, just stand up and then that will, your legs will absorb it. And instead of it bottoming out, the, the you know, you'll have a little bit of extra travel and the bike will be easier to ride. And then they'll do it and they'll learn something and they'll be a better rider for it. And that's really what any, beginner ride bike is you want you want a bike that makes the rider a better rider and helps him learn how to be a better rider and move on to the next step and so i before i would have just told pretty much everybody to stay away from the crf 250l rally i still would there's no real advantage to it but now if somebody was new and they said well i have some dual sport experience and if they said they found this crf 300l rally to be an interesting bike to them i'd say well you probably would prefer this to the standard CRF 300L. Uh, it's it, they've they've differentiated them much better, and uh, it's 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 a real it was a real eye opener to ride the two of them back to back uh, compared to the other two the the you know the 250s the the 300s back to back and 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 I uh, it was just one of those things where you go wow they really did do something new with it. And they didn't just, they didn't just stroke the motor and say, here you go. They did, you know, new frame, right. new swing arm, new suspension right. settings, new ergonomics. You know, that's a lot of stuff for a bike that looks the same and costs pretty much the same. You know, I, I don't remember the price, but it's, it's pretty close to the same price. It might even be the same price. You know, they just didn't, you know, but they just, it's, it's, again, this is like one of these things that happens with Honda especially Honda, it's like you look at a bike and you think, well, this hasn't even changed, you know, just looking at it. And then they get into all these things that they did and they're not even visible. And it's not even like, look, we've done all these things. And the bike, you know, you'd expect the bike to look completely different and it just looks the same <laughs> and it works completely different. And they, they lost, uh, I think it was nine pounds or something, which doesn't sound like a lot, but nine pounds can make a big difference that's quite a lot in a, in a little bike like that that's quite a big difference yeah but all these but they they did it in all these ways like the toolbox they lost three hundredths of a pound <laughs> you know or the side covers down five hundredths of a pound the license plate bracket down four hundredths of a pound i mean you're talking <laughs> you know hundreds of a pound but they added up all these hundreds of a pound here there and everywhere and then they lost nine pounds somehow i mean probably some a big chunk came out of the new frame and swing arm but they still worked on all these little parts to lose weight on a bike that you would think it'd be easy to just go ah who cares wow you know what difference does it make you know this is just for some novice rider he's not going to notice the difference but they put in the effort and uh and it shows right i mean whenever when the first Honda CB300 came out, the, you know, street bikes. I was like, oh, great. They're going to upgrade the rally and the, uh, the dual sport, the 250L. And it took years for them to do that. I have no, no idea why that happened. But, but when they finally went and did it, they really did do it right by changing the 
bike significantly and uh, much better. You know, there's nothing about the 250s that is better than the 300s. There's there's no reason to prefer those bikes over the new bikes. It's 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 very starkly improved. Big big change. Interesting. I mean, so did you did you get a chance to ride them on the street, or you know, is there any different on the street? I mean, presumably the rally is with firmer suspension is 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 a nicer street bike as well yeah than the than the plain l right well this plain l is lower to the ground so there's kind of the advantage of that you're not sitting up so high oh okay well that's that's quite a big thing for if somebody you know slightly you know less confident beginner or you know a shorter stature person you know going to choose the the slightly lower bike i would have thought right and really, on dual sport bike, you're limited by the tires. Right. I mean, you can. I don't know what the how far you could lean those bikes over, but I would think you could lean them over, and you would, you know, lose the front end before you scrape the pegs. I mean, the pegs are pretty high in the, up in the air, so, you know, riding the bikes. Uh, I mean, I rode them both. I, I don't want to say super aggressively, but fairly aggressively on, you know, the street, and they never did anything either one of them that was. Right. Uh, surprising or unexpected but you know within the expectations that i have for a dual sport bike i know what i'm riding and i'm going to ride within that that limit uh the rally kind of feels cooler on the street because you're up higher it's like you're more excited it's just more exciting it's more exciting to be on a taller bike it always is because you feel more like you're on a competition machine rather than you know just a beginner trail bike so uh there's there's always that that aspect there's always the psychological aspect to riding it's not all right you know it's like you could ride a tw200 and there's a lot of places you can take that that you could never ride i love that tw200 or it'd be harder to ride on a a crf 450l (laughs) you know it's because you can put your feet down and you can you can paddle along you can get there and when you're on a tall bike you know you you have to be an expert you have to be uh, aggressive and you have to be willing to go for it and that's two different kind of riders. And so the CRF 300L, you know, kind of retains its, its status as the ultimate, you know, a, a great novice dual sport bike, along with the Kawasaki KLX 230 uh, and the Yamaha XT 250. Those bikes are the, you know, kind of the gold standard. And, and the Honda, may, I would say the Honda now has a bit of an advantage over the other two because of the uh, increased power because you have those two 250s one's a 230 one's a 250 and the honda again you have the 300 and there's no downside it's not like the power is delivered in such a way that it's ever intimidating if you can ride the motorcycle you're not going to be intimidated by the power but you're going to be glad to have you know when you're going up uh you know we had it on a uh, fairly technical trail and let's say it's making a right hand turn uphill so when you go, you want that bike to, to go and climb the hill. If it goes too slow, then the, spark, the rear wheel will start to spin when you try to, you know, you need to get momentum and handling. And the, the standard CRF 300L has that ability to ride the trails really well. Now on the same single tracks, you're going to, on the rally, it takes more experience because you're now up in the ground, up in the air, you can't put your foot down quite as easily. Uh, this, the throttle response isn't quite as good because the bike's heavier. So you have to be able to put a little bit more into it. So to break down the bikes, if I was going to break them down to who would buy which bike, if you're a novice guy who wants to ride dual sport riding, well, first of all, if you're a shorter rider, you get the standard L because the 
rally if, if you can't deal with the seat height. It's just too cold. Yeah, you, you don't right. want that. So that's 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 easy. And that's always true of anything. And you might even want like the Yamaha XT250 because it's even shorter. And I'm pretty sure the KLX230 is too. So, you know, your height, your, your inseam. I always say height. People always say height, but it's really the inseam that matters. Right, for sure. You know, yeah. you, two people can be the same height, but have one has much shorter legs than the other. But if you're going to be riding dual sport and you're going to learn, you know, how to ride trails, single track, the standard Syrup 300L is the way to go. Uh, it's lower to the gr ground. It's lighter. Uh, the suspension is not as dirt oriented, but it's, it's, it's plush and it's nice. And you won't notice the eccentricities of it because you're not, you don't have anything to compare it to. So you'll be happy with it. Uh, and then when you move to the next level, you'll go, oh, well, this is quite different. <laughs> okay. And let's say that next level is, is a CRF 300L rally. Although I doubt very many people would move from one to the other because you'd be probably ready to move up to a CRF 450L RL. But anyway, but the rally, if you, that you make that choice, it's like you're a little taller, you're comfortable, you like the height, you like the way it looks because it looks cool. I mean, there's no question about it. The CRF 300L rally is a cool looking motorcycle. Anybody sees that? It looks like you're like, you know, it looks like a race bike and, and that's a, you know, that's always going to be appealing no matter what, you know? So if there's somebody who likes to go out in the desert and open terrain, dirt roads, fast dirt roads, it's a better bike. Uh, the suspension's better set up for that. You have a better view. Uh, the longer travel will help you if you get into a big G out, things like that. It's, it's definitely a better. And it, and it, and it also has the bigger gas tank. Yes. As well, doesn't it? And, and okay, so you can so you can go further on right. Dual sport bikes, uh, for whatever reason, they've they've saddled them in most cases with tiny tanks, two gallon tanks that have very little range. And out in the west where we are, it's easy to not to go to go through a tank without seeing a gas station. So you actually really have to think about what you're doing. It's not like an adventure bikes where they have eight gallon tanks. These are just two gallon tanks, and that range works out to maybe 80, 100 miles depends on how you're riding but 80 miles out in the desert is not that far and so right this, uh extra, yeah we found that right so this little bit extra tank size uh definitely uh honda claims that you can get 300 or excuse me, 250 miles out of the tank and that's 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 pretty good so again it's always wow. going to depend on how you ride and what you're riding on you know if you're riding somewhere where you're putting a lot of revs on and you're not going very fast you're not going to get a lot of mileage. And so I always, I'm always hesitant to talk miles per gallon on bikes because it so much depends on how you ride yeah, yeah, yeah. and where you're riding, especially off road. Terrain, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, but it's still the, the bottom line is a bigger tank is going to take you farther than a smaller tank. So, you know, that, that doesn't, you don't have to be a rocket science to know that 3.4 gallons will take you a lot farther than two gallons. <laughs> right. And so, and that's, you know, that's, that's a, a three quart, increase over the old rally and that's a significant difference between the l and the rally i mean my goodness i mean you know that's a that's almost let's say one and a half times again right but again that depends on your riding if you're a beginner you're probably not covering big distances so that you don't need that extra tank okay capacity you're you're just riding around on local trails and the gas stations aren't that far away sure you know this the rally is just a, for a more advanced rider and uh, not super advanced, you know, somebody who it would be a natural for the CRF 450RL would find the, the 300L rally to be totally inadequate. <laughs> you know, they would, 
immediately go out, bottom the suspension, complain about the power and say, this bike sucks. (laughs) So you have to understand what it is. And uh, the bottom line is both versions, both flavors of the CRF 300L are greatly improved for 2021. I mean, it's not even close. The 250s, nobody will miss them. And so it's, it's, it was uh, one of those things where sometimes when you get the new bike and they've done something, we've changed this, we've changed that. It's like the difference is kind of like, well, maybe if I rode it back to back, I'd notice, but uh, it's <laughs> right. pretty much the same. And uh, this is one where you, you, you can tell the difference right away and, and it, it's significant and it, it improves the riding experience dramatically. For not a lot of extra money. That's amazing. Yeah. That, that is amazing. Well, good for them. Well, you know, Honda wants to get new people on bikes. And so they're going to keep those bikes as, as affordable as possible. Yeah. And and they're world bikes, so they can spread that R&D money out over the entire globe. Right. And that helps, too. Right. And I take it, I take it uh, both these flavors of the, of the 300 are electric start, of course. They've got all the, the kind of the nice. Oh, yeah. On them. Nobody wants to kickstart a bike anymore. I mean, no. even motocross bikes are electric start. I mean, there are. There are some kickstart bikes but not too many that's that's getting to be pretty rare <laughs> fortunately I'm, I'm i'm a big fan of electric start i i don't understand right. the appeal of kicking a bike i never you know i even when i no. they're all kickstart i was like man it'd be really great to have electric start <laughs> but it weighs more it's like that's okay i'll i'll, I'll deal with that <laughs> you know and, and and of course the amount that extra that it weighs now and where they place the motor behind you know often behind the cylinder you, you, it doesn't even matter yeah yeah. So, yeah. Well, so I'm a big, big fan of the, I went from being like, oh yeah, those are the 250L and the 250L, well, L being like, that's a nice enough bike, pleasant, but eh. Yeah. And the rally being like, eh, and I don't really get the point of that uh, to, to be in bikes. I go, wow, these are, these are pretty cool. So good job Honda on these, on these two. Excellent. Well, that, uh, that sounds awesome. Okay, that is very interesting. We recently got to ride the Yamaha TW200 and the the Kawasaki uh, KLX230 that you mentioned. And actually, we were really impressed with both of them. But as experienced motorcycle riders as we are, um, we are hopelessly um, inexperienced off-road. I have literally almost never ridden off-road. So... uh, so it's quite interesting looking at stuff from a sort of a newbie perspective. And uh, I'd be curious to try this 300, this uh, this Honda, um, both of them. Uh, I'd be very curious. I'm fortunate that I've got a, a long inseam, so I don't think the height difference would bother me, but it'd be, uh, be interesting. Yeah, it sounds great. I appreciate your insight. And uh, I guess I'll look forward to talking to you about the next one. All right. All right. Thanks. All right. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Well, as promised in this second segment coming up, Don Williams talks to Nick DeSena about the annual Big Bear Run. I hope you enjoy it. There's a place where the track meets the street, where the next generation of rider meets a new generation of super sport machine. It's called Our World. And the all new Yamaha YZF-R7 is your gateway. The YZF-R7 bridges the gap between the entry-level YZF-R3 and the prestigious YZF-R1, offering a mid-level option for both new riders looking to grow into a more powerful motorcycle, as well as experienced riders seeking a fully fared motorcycle. 
Discover how the YZF-R7 provides the perfect balance of rider comfort and true supersport performance. With an advanced CP2 engine inside an ultra-thin and lightweight chassis, the YZF-R7 delivers tons of linear torque, providing you with exhilarating track day sessions or plenty of power for ripping your favorite canyon curves. Take a closer look at yamahamotorsports.com or see the YZF-R7 for yourself at your local dealer and see where our world meets yours. Hi, this is Don Williams, editor of Ultimate Motorcycling Magazine, and I'm here with senior editor Nick DeSena, and we're here to talk about his Big Bear Run ride on the Kawasaki KLX 300. Now, I'm a longtime dual sport guy, uh, and I've ridden up in Big Bear for 50 years, and uh, I know that area quite well, and uh, I haven't ridden the KLX 300. Interestingly enough, to see how all these things kind of flow together. One of my first jobs in the industry was working for Damon Powell at Dual Sporter Magazine. And we happened to send Damon Powell to review the KLX 300 uh, when it came out uh, earlier in this model year. So it's kind of funny how that all works out. And uh, Nick got invited by Kawasaki to go up for a ride with a colleague from motorcycle.com. And uh, Nick, how was it up there? Uh, you know, it was it was a good time. Um, the Big Bear Run is one of those events that's sort of become a staple Southern California dual sport event. And it's been going on for the past 27 years uh, as of this last meeting. So I know about the event mainly because of its reputation. It's part of the 16-date AMA uh, national dual sport calendar. So it is an AMA sanctioned event, but it's not a race. And that's something that the organizers definitely stress. Um, and as Don said, you know, the trail system up there has been in existence for a long time. And the organizers are part of a, a group called the Big Bear Trail Riders Association. And they put on the event and uh, it's a very, very uh, expansive trail system up in the um, San Bernardino National Forest. And there's a lot to do. So just to kind of get into the event, you know, uh, I know, I know the, the event through its reputation of the, the hard way, which is 200 miles of very technical and uh, challenging uh, off-road riding. However, you don't have to do that. There are three other ways that riders can, can do. You have the advanced easy course, the easy course and then the adventure course. And really you're looking at about between 120 to 135 miles um, with mixed uh, road and, and off-road for all those courses. And, and it just depends on which route you take. So which one did you take? We didn't take the hard way because that is pure madness. And if you guys really want to get a taste of it, just go to YouTube, Google Big Bear Run Hard Way and just kind of dive into that rabbit hole of... Uh, you know, uh, uh, what, what's the, the German word for it? Uh, schadenfreude or schadenfreude, where you just enjoy other people's pain. <laughs> but um, it, it's a difficult route, no matter what. And we did the advanced easy route, which combines um, some on-road riding. You do probably, I would estimate, maybe 20-ish 20, 20 miles, maybe 30-ish miles on-road collectively throughout the day. 
and then the rest of it's off-road. So you're, you're, you're hitting big fire roads, two wide trails, uh, some single track, and a whole lot of rocky stuff because that's, you're, you're at pretty high elevation. I think Big Bear is at something like uh, 6,700 feet above sea level. And um, as you start climbing into those mountains, you do get more rocky terrain. So, you know, being from Southern California, um, in the low line area of Southern California, I'm more used to sand and the rocky stuff, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll beat you up. Yeah. I, I looked at the map that you rode of, of the, and it looks like the loops kind of come out from Big Bear. Like there's multiple loops that go to the South, the North and to the East. And I was wondering how much different each one of those loops were. Yeah. So that's, that's the cool thing with these, these dual sport events. Um, and they're all across America. And then you also have things like District 37 races and et cetera, et cetera. And they're all similar in that they, they offer a really diverse range of terrain to cover throughout the day. And um, with the GPX maps that you get when you register and participate in the event, they break it up or they break up the, the route, whether you're doing a hard route or uh, the advanced easy route or whatever, into four separate sections. And they're all pretty distinct. I mean, we started out our day with something that sort of gave you a, a sampler platter of what you'd be experiencing the entire day. So you had a little bit of, um, you know, just casual fire roads and just OHV trails into some really fun kind of uh, almost loamy dirt um, single track. And then, a, you know, some rocky climbs and, sustain, uh, you know, sustained rocky areas. The second section is really really user-friendly. It's um, near Holcomb Valley in Big Bear. So a lot of camping, you know, I mean, some of these big fire roads, like Priuses, you know, Toyota Priuses are driving on them. So it, if a Prius can do it, you can do it. You'll be fine. Um, and then, yeah, they used to have, uh, excuse me, they used, they used to have uh, the Big Bear two-day trial up at Holcomb Valley. That was a, a very popular event that, you know, would get hundreds of entries and, uh, as you saw the rocks that would be perfect for trials riding. Of course, the environmentalists shut that down because the rocks are very sensitive, I think, to the noise of motorcycles. And uh, so Holcomb Valley is like one of my favorite places, incredibly beautiful, but also lots of fun riding yeah. there. So go ahead. To the yeah, next one. I, and that, just to touch on Holcomb Valley, it's, you know, we had one photo from Holcomb Valley in that area and, and the rock formations are great. So um, there's a lot of camping and climbing and et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of people are just out there doing their thing. And that's, that's something I do need to make people aware of is although you are participating in a dual sport event, you're still operating in, you know, public lands. So there's still other activities going on. You know, you're going through active OHV trails, active campgrounds, et cetera, et cetera. So you are sharing these trails with other people during the day, despite the fact that you are participating in an event. So that is something to be aware of. You do need to be respectful of, you know, you might see other riders that have nothing to do with what you're doing. You might see Jeeps, um, campers, et cetera, et cetera. But in Holcomb Valley, it's a great, great location. Um, I mean, it's enough to just to go up there and do a day ride and just explore that and you'd be content. And then our third section um, that combined with the hard way. So we got a little taste of the difficulty, really rocky single track that was very challenging, but also pretty rewarding, I would say. It's uh, probably some of the trickiest stuff I've ever ridden. Again, and I'm 
not a huge dual sport guy get out there a couple times a year at best um and then some some pretty hairy hill climbs i want to say they're they're uh overly difficult and that's where the klx 300 really shined because it's um a little bit lower in terms of its seat height suspension's a little bit softer so when it came to getting up to those choke points which every you know dual sport event has you get a lot of guys that are stalling out on hill climbs and stuff like that for us you know ryan adams from motorcycle.com brad pitts from kawasaki and myself we were able just to put the thing in first gear you know and kind of doggy paddle the bike up the hill whereas you know guys on you know uh ktm you know 300 excfs or crf 450ls that have a lot more power a lot more torque um they can do more in other areas you know in those tricky very rocky silty hill climbs you know that would just stress me out <laughs> so it uh you know i saw more than one bike get looped just because you know hill climbs and power it's you got to feather the clutch and control that but um Meanwhile, we just doggy paddled up and we're all, all good. So that was cool. Right. If you're, uh, if you're a high-end rider, you know, the KTM Husqvarna Beta Honda CRF450RL, and you're good, you can make a lot out of that and you can make short work of those hill climbs. But if you're a normal guy, a lot of times a lower seat height has a lot more advantage than additional power and longer travel yeah, suspension. Yeah, that's 100% true. And you know, at my skill level as a dual sport rider, uh, despite the fact that I owned a KTM uh, 300EXCF, um, there are sections that ride where you would just get pummeled, uh, especially the rocky stuff. If you're not really on the gas and pushing and actually utilizing that long travel suspension, if you're going much slower because you have heavier damping, those rocky sections would just totally sap your energy and just take a lot out of you um to the same point about horsepower you know those bikes are a lot more high strung so you have to be a little bit more careful with them and respect the the uh, throttle a bit more so that can just add some stress level and then the big one like don just pointed out is seat height if you can get your boots on the deck and kind of assist yourself then that just adds a whole level of comfort to the to the situation. Whereas, you know, there's one instance where a guy came up um, uh, and he's probably a bit shorter than me. So, you know, lower inseam length. And I could tell that he was struggling because he just couldn't dab his foot properly. And then he stepped into a hole and that's when he tipped over. So, you know, <laughs> the hill climbs, if you watch any of the dual sport events, you know, any hill climb section and any of the dual sport races or enduro races, that's Nope, don't call them dual yeah. sport races. Yeah, so get in okay. trouble there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> any any of the enduro events, you know, you that's that's where the camera sits because that's where the action is going to happen, basically, or Erzberg rodeo or anything like that. But um, yeah, and then moving on to the fourth section, it goes into this really flowy area, um, kind of on the backside of Big Bear, and you you get to you know, do some really cool stuff, some, some high speed, just, just kind of, I, I would say fire roads at that point. And, uh, then you do some, some nice little climbs and, uh, ascends kind of the backside of big bear, but sort of the treat for me at the end of the day, because, you know, even on the advanced easy route, 
it took us about you know seven hours and change to complete of actual ride time so it's it's an all-day thing and that's going to change depending on your skill level and the crew you're with you know if you experience dual sporters and off-road riders you can probably make faster work of that but it's still going to be several hours in a saddle so you have to be mentally prepared for that and you know per my training for everything i do off-road um i don't train for it and then i just do it and immediately go oh god what have i done so that's <laughs> that's my training regimen um but uh no it's and then you you finish off the ride by you know assigning this um the kind of the back of I can't remember that, that particular name of the peak and you end up where you started, but you finish off by just going through all these deep forests and it's uh, another little fire road and it's really fast and flowing and very fun. And it kind of caps off the event. And that's sort of the ride in a nutshell. The, the main thing about the ride though, is, you know, the, the big bear dual sport event has, has a reputation for being difficult because of the hard way. Everything else is, um, I wouldn't say it's particularly difficult overall. The difficulty comes in from the fact that you, you need to be mentally prepared for seven, eight hours in the saddle, six hours in the saddle, and then also stay hydrated as well. I understood that you guys had some cheater tires on those bikes. Yeah. So that was the one modification that we made to those bikes. Uh, we made, we use Dunlop Geomax MX 58s, and that's probably the best upgrade you can make to a motorcycle. Um, overall just from stock you know a lot of dual sports come with uh you know probably 70 30 off-road uh tires on them you know if you think about your honda crf 450 rls or um you know the klx 300s they're they're off-road capable but not really conducive to the type of terrain we would be hitting which ranged from you know loamy dirt stuff sand uh really soft silty stuff rocks a lot of rocks um you know because they're so aggressive off-road uh your on-road performance is sacrificed a little bit but i mean we did over 100 miles off-road so we don't really care yeah and they're not they're not strictly dot legal but very rarely are the police going to check your tires no 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 and especially and, in an area and like that, that really depends on the rider too i mean i know a lot of a lot of dual sport riders that have plated bikes and really only go to OHV parks. So technically they're never on public roads where, you know, law enforcement would be. And so riding with a more aggressive tire is actually the best way to go. Um, and and I, I would recommend, you know, you just have to be honest with yourself and, and really think about what your use case is. If you're gonna be riding around on the street, then yeah, running a DOT tire is not only the legal thing to do, but it's going to save you a lot more just in the long run because, you know, asphalt chews up aggressive knobbies in an instant. So, I mean, most of the wear from our tires and most of the chewed up sections was probably from riding on the road. Yeah. Now I tested the Kalex 300R, the off-road version and the Kalex 300 dual sport yeah. version apparently is pretty similar just they threw some lights on uh, i'm not sure what they did to the suspension if they did anything and uh to me the kalex 300r was a good single track trail bike fun to ride 
super unintimidating power. You know, you, you put you give it a lot of throttle without having to worry about what's going to happen, but still a lot of torque so that you could go up hill climbs or ride through technical areas. And uh, the suspension was soft, which matched the power. Uh, you don't want super stiff suspension if you're not going super fast. And uh, it, it soaked up everything. And softer suspension also makes it easier to get good traction because it just soaks the bike down into, into the ground. And I was wondering, where did you think the KLX 300 Dual Sport was most capable and where did you think it was least capable? Yeah, so the if I, if I remember the spec sheet correctly, the KLX 300R and the KLX 300 Dual Sport are only separated by a couple parts. Uh, I, the engine is the same, uh, the, the chassis is the same, the suspension is the same. Um, it has lights and stuff like that. So it's slightly heavier. Um, as far as where it succeeded, I would say in any of the really slow going rocky stuff, because at certain points you do hit some rocky sections that where you're in areas with, you know, terrain that you, you're, you're sort of crawling over, you know, boot sized boulders, I would say, you know, you know, the size of like a, a cantaloupe or something like that. And so you're, you can either you know, really haul through them if you have the skill to do that. And if you don't, then you're just going to be sort of rock crawling. And so again, that softer suspension, the seat height, um, ease of use when it comes to the power, that really helps. Um, just imagine using a very finicky, high-strung, very powerful two-stroke, uh, uh, a heavy two-stroke. So let's just say CR500 in that section. That would just be a nightmare to me. But um, and where, where it didn't, like is um, I would say with a fork specifically and high speed uh, compression over, um, I, I guess it would be described as washboard areas. So when you're going through those really wide fire roads and you hit some of that washboard stuff that's left up from cars and, and Jeeps and stuff like that doing wheel spin, you could feel a lot of that. And so I think we could have worked on the suspension a little bit just to get it right. But overall, that's the only negative that the bike really suffered from is when you're probably going, you know, 40, 50 miles an hour and you hit some of that washboard stuff, you do feel it a lot. It doesn't totally upset the chassis. It's just something you feel. And it's such a drastic um, change in what the bike usually does, which was soak up everything. So that's the one thing that we did kind of notice. We're like, hmm, we could probably tune that out a bit and see if we can get something better. And the other caveat too is, you know, the Dunlops are super stiff tires. So, you know, you, you do have to factor that into your riding experience too. Different tires offer different characteristics. So that could have played a part part in it. Yeah, what, what kind of air pressure do you, you guys run for that? Because it's always tricky riding dual sport because you don't want to run it too high because obviously then it's not going to work well off-road, but if you run it too low, you can run into problems on the, on the pavement and the faster sections. Yeah. And we were, we kind of kicked that back and forth a little bit. We didn't want to go too high because, you know, you just lose traction. And um, then we didn't want to go too low because we knew there was going to be a lot of rocky stuff and potentially faster rocky stuff. And that's a really good way to get pinch flats, which, you do not want on an extended ride like that. Um, and a good way would be 
good way to get pinch flats is to run too low of PSI. Um, you know, it's, that was one of those situations where I've always, I was like, man, I wish we'd run a nitro moose, which is the, uh, the foam insert, um, that replaces a, an inner tube and, uh, you know, just maintains a, a PSI essentially. Um, so you can't get pitch flats. You can just do whatever you want, but, um, yeah, we ran, if I remember correctly, something like 15 or 16 PSI. Um, so we, we were kind of right in the middle. We didn't want to go much lower than that for fear of pinch flats, which we didn't get. And um, we want to go too much higher because then you just, you just start creating deflection issues, you know, when the tire's too stiff, um, especially in the, the, the you know, uh, rockier sections like that are really small kind of above gravel sort of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And then, yeah, that, that's where we went with that. So basically, you know, you're happy with the ergonomics and the, uh, the comfort of the seat on a long ride. Yeah. Yeah. Ergonomics and seat seating position, I would say, um, everything's pretty good. Um, when I think about the seat, particularly, it's actually one of the softer dual sport seats that I've run into. I mean, having owned KTMs, owning Husqvarna, uh, right now. KTM and Husqvarna have this whole ready to race thing going on, which always translates to me as uh, having a seat that's made out of plywood. But, um, you know, it's incredibly it's stiff. orange or blue, usually. Yeah, yeah. Whether blue and white or, or orange. Um, incredibly stiff seat. And so if you, if you looked at the paddock, which was mostly KTM, Husqvarna's, a smattering of Honda and then you get the real hardcore dudes that are running like SWM bikes and, and betas and stuff like that. The first upgrades you'll see are tires followed by seat and uh, <laughs> just going for a bit more padding. With the KLX 300, it is a padded, it, it's well padded. It's not overly squishy. So um, comfort is not an issue at all on that bike. Um, and then the only other thing I would work on ergonomically is just with the levers, uh, just, you know, taking the time to actually set that up properly so you can get your angles right. That's about it. That's all I'd really do for, for something like that. Um, I, I think okay. I would, I would also maybe mess with the shifter and the, uh, brake pedal and maybe go to an aftermarket one to get some more adjustment. But I do that, you know, these are general statements that I think everyone should do for their bikes just to get that that fitment totally right for you okay uh back to the big bear uh run can you kind of walk somebody through if they wanted to go to a dual sport ride what happens when you show up is there a big starting line with a gate that drops or no no it it, it depends on the event so this one is more family friendly um if you are signing up for the hard route and you're an experienced dual sport rider and you really want to challenge yourself, um, then you cannot leave before 6 a.m. because you need to collect your first ticket and then collect tickets at every checkpoint throughout the course. And you cannot leave later than something like 7, 7 a.m. because you know this is going to be an all-day thing for you. Don't under underestimate it. For everyone else, it's just you know at your own discretion. Leave when when you feel like it. So some people wait a little bit longer 
so that the trail clears out. They're not dealing with as much dust and traffic. Um, some people get out super early and try to stay ahead of that. Um, for these general dual sport rides, everyone's sort of released at, at, you know, under their own recognizance or recognizance, I should say. <laughs> um, but as far as signing up, doing the thing and, and doing the weekend, or whether you're there for one day or not. So at a ride like this, they provide GPX routes, which will work with your navigation systems, whether it's trail tech or you're using your phone or whatever. So you come in Friday, you check in, you get the routes that are respective to whatever route you're, you're signed up for. You get to study them because they don't provide these routes prior, mainly because they don't want guys going out there and pre-running the course and turning it into a big thing. They just, you know, it's a, you study it the night before and kind of get your bearings and then you go out and do it the next day. And so you, you do that on Friday afternoon and you sign up, you get your swag, you get your stickers, you know, you check in and then you show up the next morning and you're off and you do your thing. And that's kind of how it works for these more casual dual sport rides. When you're talking about races, they do, you know, release people in waves and things like that. I mean, I, I think about the one time that I did the Elsinore GP, which is another long-standing Southern California event. And Don, you've done that event too. You have to sign up class by class and then you get released, you know, class by class in, in waves, whether it's a, I think like advanced, intermediate and novice or something like that. But um, right, which is a GP rather than, than a dual sport, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so you guys, what did you guys go at the start? Did you get up to the crack of dawn so you could beat the crowd, or did you let the crowd go ahead of you and uh, work the trail in, and then you guys cleaned up at the end? Yeah, yeah. We definitely acted as the de facto sweep riders, which this event does have sweep riders that leave well, well, well after the main waves, just as a. Um, a safety precaution. Essentially, you have they have sweep riders running the course the entire time to look for, you know, downed riders or people that need assistance to get them out of there. Um, in our case, we went to one of the local fine dining establishments known as 7-Eleven and uh, fueled up in the parking lot before departing at a uh, leisurely 8.30 a.m. Most people get out there by about 7.30 eight o'clock at the latest um we kind of let the main wave go and do their thing and um i i would i think i would start earlier next year just because it would give you a little bit more buffer in case you get a flat or something like that but um overall that was also a good decision because it, it let the trails clear out because there are a lot of riders doing this and it's a grassroots event and traditionally they've had, you know, a few hundred riders attend, like 200, you know, 300, so on, so on. This year was one of the biggest years on record, if not the biggest with over 400 rider, riders in attendance overall across every route. So um, quite a bit of people out there on the trail uh, for this one. And uh, I wouldn't say you need to let some strategy happen, but letting the herd thin out or getting ahead of them is uh, definitely something that you want to do. So they have the four loops the way it looked like. Did, did the loops go back to the main headquarters of the event? No. So I was wondering if they could make it so that you could do the loops, let's say the four loops in whichever order you want. Like I want to do this one first, this other one the second. 
everybody does it differently so that you don't have everybody running at the same time in the same direction. Yeah. So you want everybody running in the same direction, of course, but you don't necessarily want them running at the same time. Yeah. So a lot of, you know, veterans of that event and just talking with some of the, the people that, that do it all the time, um, they'll, they'll do that. They'll pick and choose aspects of routes that they really like. So you'll get a couple guys that are like, Oh, we want to do, um, you know, maybe loop one and two of the hard route, then we're going to do some of advanced easy and then finish off with easy. Um, and you'll get a lot of mix and matching. So, so people that aren't, you know, specifically focused on the hard route, um, you, you could do that. You can combine the routes in any way that you want. Uh, the only caveat to that statement is if you are doing the hard route specifically or hard way, I should say, sorry, and you want that finisher's plaque, you have to hit every checkpoint along the way and successfully get those checkpoints to complete the hard route. So if you're doing it for fun, like we were, and everyone else that's not involved with the hard way, then you can mix and match as you please. Um, now they don't all go back to the home base, which this year was the Big Bear Mountain Ski Resort. Um, some of the loops actually run into each other. Uh, so I think in our case, loops two and three essentially ran into each other, um, but you will end up back in the city at different points so you can get fuel, um, you know, refresh and wash stuff, wash your goggles if you need to. Although one, one thing I should note is that there's checkpoints all along the route that are mainly there for the hard, hard route or hard way guys to get their checkpoint tickets. But there's also water and food and things like that at those checkpoints. So definitely, if you're at a dual sport event, they have checkpoints. Make sure you fill up your camel pack. Make sure you're hydrating, eating, doing all that stuff that I didn't do. So, you know, you can actually <laughs> so do it. So they, 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 you know, they charge a fee for this, but you get, you get something back for it. You see, you see, it sounds like you get the safety of somebody's, you know, checking the route all the time to make sure that everybody's okay. Uh, I assume that they don't leave anybody out on the trail that doesn't come back at the end of the day. Is that. Yeah. 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 So, you know, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. You get a couple things from it with your, your, your investment. So if you're from the Southern California area, learning the trails up in Big Bear can be a bit overwhelming because there's a lot going on. And it, if you just look at the Big Bear city on a map, it's, it surrounds the entire area. There's, there's a lot of stuff to explore. And then you basically have a curated route at your disposal and you can just look at all this stuff and compile it and save it and use it at your leisure. So you can look at it like that. The other aspect is, is that it is an event and there is safety or there are safety protocols in place. So they do have sweep riders everywhere. Um, there are checkpoints throughout the ride. So if you do see a downed rider or someone does need medical attention, you can alert people uh, in a relatively short period of time and they will send people to help. And the other thing too, is, and something that we touched on earlier, but people might not make the connection to is because you can break these routes up, you can also bail out of the routes if you need to. Say if you damage the bike or you get injured or someone in your party gets injured. Um, and, and likewise, someone can come and assist you in most of the areas that you're in. Uh, I would say with the exception of like the really tricky single track stuff that you get into, um, an ambulance or 
you know, forest service crews could come out there and get you if needed. Um, in our case, you know, we didn't have any issues. We didn't see anyone with any particularly tough issues. The, the, the biggest thing we saw were just, you know, people getting tired basically because it was about 85 something degrees, either you're in the sun all day, you're at elevation and, uh, you know, people would need to pull over and kind of take a break under the shade. But yeah, it's for the money, you get the experience of riding it. You get a lot of access to routes and trails systems that you need to research yourself, which can be a little bit daunting for some people. And they've already done the work for you. So you're essentially buying GPX maps at that point. And I, I think that'll, that helps. Um, but yeah. And, and the, the safety aspect yeah. of, you know, somebody to look out for you in case something, something goes wrong. Yeah. And they, is, they is do, there... they do send people out. Um, so they do, I think their final sweep at the end of the day. Um, because I remember you and you, you get the riders banquet at the end of Saturday. And I remember seeing a lot of the uh, dual sport or the, the big bear trail riders staff coming in um, just as, you know, we were starting dinner. So that's like seven thirty ish eight o'clock. And uh, they were, they were just coming back off the trails, you know, from their respective routes and making sure that no one was stuck out there uh, because that is a thing, especially on a hard way, you know, someone could have a, a disabled bike and then they're kind of out, out there for a minute. But the key thing to remember is that with the four sections, you're always within earshot of civilization. So someone can go out there and bail you out. It's not like you're in the middle of Baja or something like that, you know? <laughs> Right. Okay. Well, it sounds like uh, sounds like a great event, and you have the camaraderie of the people on the trail, but also, you know, the banquet afterwards and kind of hanging out beforehand, and then people to make sure that you're okay during the event and that you come home after the end of the event and make it back back to uh, to the pit area. Yeah. So, uh, so you you you're inspired to go do it again. Yeah, I definitely want to do it again. Um, I learned a couple really important things like one I need to pack more food because we really didn't have time to just kind of stop and eat so you know maintaining that that calorie intake um, also hydration uh, I definitely underestimated the amount of water I would consume on the trail which when I'm at a racetrack I drink copious amounts of, of fluid so I don't know why I assumed I wouldn't here but uh, um, <laughs> and then you know just kind of learning to pace yourself. It's, it's funny because it was about 1130 in the morning. We'd only been on the bikes for a couple hours. And I remember just going, oh man, I really need to do more core exercise because uh, th this is not working right now. And it was like in one of the really tricky, rocky sections and I had to balance myself. And I was like, man, I got like another five hours of this. I need to make it work. So just learning to pace yourself because that's one thing we did notice is there were a lot of riders out there that were significantly faster than me. And this was sort of a, a tortoise in the hare situation where these guys would rip past me. I mean, just absolutely, you know, rip the, the Kawasaki green paint off that bike. And then we'd catch up to them like a half hour later because they were just totally smoked and like taking a rest under a tree. So learning to pace yourself and learning the pace of the group as well so you guys can all lean on each other and the camaraderie aspect is really important too if you see riders that need assistance you know try to lend a hand because it, it goes back and forth and when you're in those tricky hill climb situations 
there's a lot of guys that have already done the hill climb. So they scampered down to help other people out. You know, if you see a guy that needs a little bit of a push, you know, give him a push. Someone needs some water or something, you know, whatever. So beyond the safety aspect that we already touched on, you also have the safety aspect of the community that's trying to make sure everyone gets home safe. And that's kind of the, the cool thing about these events. It's more about just getting out there with people and doing your thing and everyone's out there to have a good time. That's part of the cool thing about motorcycles in general, really, no matter what kind of riding you're doing, you could be at the track, uh, you know, the road racing track or a motocross track or a dual sport ride or enduro, uh, and hound. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not at a speedway track. That might not be quite so uh, friendly. <laughs> yeah. That, that seems a little, a little bit more um, <laughs> cutthroat, but no, I mean, overall that's, that's the, you know, you get in these events and everyone's like, okay, we all have work on Monday. Let's all make sure that we can all go to work on Monday. So it's fine. Um, right. But yeah, it was, it was a cool event. And, um, you know, after hearing about the event for so many years, uh, especially from, you know, friends up in Ventura County that have done it, some guys that I know that have done the hard route or hard way, um, finally doing it. I was like, okay, here's what it is. So, you know, definitely visit the AMA website and uh, check out the AMA National Dual Sports Series because there are stops all over the country for riders. Um, and there's also an adventure component too. So if you're an adventure rider, you can join in on these events and they have routes that are curated for your bike. And, um, you know, the only caveat that I would say to all of this is um, the requirements for these rides is you need a plated motorcycle, you need a spark arrestor, which if you have a plated bike, it already has one. And you need an AMA membership, which a lot of guys and girls have. So those are the only requirements. Other than that, sign up and go and do your thing wherever you are in the country. All right. Sounds great. That was uh, great to hear about that. And I might just join you next year. I haven't been on an organized dual sport ride in a long time. I used to do LAB to V uh, regularly, and that was always fun. And uh, although cold, <laughs> I guess you guys didn't have to worry about being cold. But uh, anyway, uh, thanks a lot. And we'll talk later. Yep. Thanks, Don. Bye.